You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 48. I want to thank all of my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes, PandoraRadio.com, Spotify, and anywhere else that you might be listening to the show. We thank you all so much, and we really appreciate you supporting the show, and we'd love to have you subscribe if you haven't already, so go ahead and do it now, please. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, the first thing I want to talk about uh, before I get into the gear news for this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of my previous episodes. So if you remember, back on June 13th, I released episode 24, and in that episode, I mentioned a do-it-yourself tripod head. Now, this tripod head is a really cool pan and tilt tripod head made by a company called Edelkron. And you can buy the tripod head directly from Edelkron for $150, which I know for some of you is probably a lot of money for a single tripod head, especially if you're only a hobbyist or maybe you're a student. Well, if you remember in that episode, I mentioned that they now offer that tripod head as a do-it-yourself head. Now, what I mean by that, if you haven't gone back and listened to episode 24 or you didn't listen to it when it was originally posted back in June of this year, is Edelkron will allow you to buy the machined aluminum parts for the tripod head from them for $30. And then on the same section of their website where they have the aluminum parts kit that you can buy, there's also a link to download the STL file so that you can print the plastic components for the tripod head yourself at home and then assemble the tripod head at home, of course, once you have all the pieces printed, and the aluminum kit of parts has arrived from them. Now, I understand not everybody has a three-dimensional printer. Maybe you can't afford one, you might be a student, or you don't make a lot of money, but you'd really love to have one of these tripod heads. Well, I just finished today printing out the last components for mine. Now, I didn't order the aluminum parts kit yet. I'm going to in the next day or two. I'll probably order a couple of them because I always like to have two of each tripod head if it's one that I really like. That way I can leave one on a monopod and I can use another one of the same head on a tripod and leave the same plate on the, you know, whatever camera body I'm using and I can easily switch between the monopod and the tripod. So... I am going to update you next week on my thoughts on the Edelkron do-it-yourself version of the tripod head. I think it's going to go fairly well. Um, They give you detailed instructions with the aluminum components that they CNC machine. And like I said, you print out the plastic components. Now, the cool thing about being able to print the plastic components yourself at home on a 3D printer or at your local college or library, if they happen to have a 3D printer and they'll let you use it for a small fee or whatever the case may be. But the cool thing is, is being you print the plastic components yourself, you can make the tripod head any color you want. Now the standard color that they sell them in is yellow and black. But again, since you're printing the plastic parts yourself at home, you could do red and black, you could do black and black, green and black, 
purple and black, whatever color filaments you can buy. And there's a lot of colors that you can buy for the 3D printer filaments on Amazon. And they're not really expensive. Now, again, I'm not rubbing it in for the folks that can't afford a 3D printer. But if you'd still like to get one of these $150 tripod heads for a massive savings amount, and you don't have a 3D printer, I'm actually reaching out to Edelcron and seeing if I can set up some sort of partnership with them where I can either sell the CNC machined components from them um, on my website, and I would also offer you the pre-printed plastic components. I would allow you to pick what color you want when you place your order. I would print all the components out for you. And then if you would like, I could either ship everything to you and you can assemble it yourself or you could have me assemble it for you for, you know, a few dollar extra fee. Now, what I was thinking is if Edelcron will agree to let me partner with them on this, I'm not going to charge anything more than they do for the aluminum CNC parts. They're doing the work there. I won't profit on that. I will only make a few bucks off the plastic components. Now, I haven't decided if they will agree to let me do this, what I will charge for the plastic components but it's going to be a fairly reasonable amount. I'm thinking maybe be probably 20 or 30 bucks for all the plastic components. Um, and that way, you you know, if you don't have a 3D printer, if you can't afford one, you could still get one of these $150 tripod heads for 50, 60 bucks. So you're still saving 90 to $100 over buying one that's pre-manufactured. Now, like I said, whether or not Edelcron will go for this idea or not, I do not know. But I am planning to talk to them about that and see what they have to say. Don't get your hopes up. We'll see how it goes. But I will be letting my listeners know next week, once I have mine fully assembled, and I've had a few days to test it out, I'll give you my thoughts on this tripod head. Now, I do have one that's similar to theirs that I bought a couple, three years ago before I'd ever even heard of them. And it was reasonably inexpensive. I bought it on Amazon. I don't remember who it was made by. And it's a pretty decent tripod head. It's really heavy, um, but it is a good tripod head. But it's a little bit of a pain in the butt to adjust when you want to tilt and stuff like that because it's basically like a scissor lift for your, for your camera, if you're familiar with scissor lifts. And the adjustments on the one I bought on Amazon aren't that great. You have to tighten and loosen the, you know, the adjustment joints with Allen wrenches, which isn't really convenient. Now, from what I can see on Edelcron's site and from printing out the parts myself, they give you a plastic dial that you can use to tighten and loosen the joints to raise and lower and tilt the tripod head and all that good stuff. So again, I'm really excited to try mine out once I finish getting it assembled. And I will let you know my thoughts on it next week, whether good or bad. But I have a feeling it's going to be a really awesome tripod head and that I'm going to really enjoy it a lot. All right. The next thing I want to talk about this week, the Nikon D6 is rumored to be coming in February with IBIS, Dual CF Express, 4K 60p video, and more. Canon isn't the only camera maker who wants to make a splash in February. It seems the flagship Nikon D6, which Nikon announced as in development a couple of months ago, will arrive in mid-February and rumored specs look very promising. Nikon didn't reveal much in the September 3rd announcement other than to say that the D6 would be the company's most advanced DSLR ever, and that's in quotes. Which is kind of like when Apple says the new iPhone is their best ever. We sure hope so. Few tech companies aspire to go backwards. 
But while Nikon didn't reveal much, Nikon Rumors has managed to get their hands on some updated specs and a tentative release time frame. According to the reliable rumor site, the Nikon D6 will officially be unveiled, specs and all, in mid-February 2020, but the exact date has not yet been confirmed, but they're kicking around February 12th as a potential announcement day. As for specs, the D6 will allegedly feature a 24-megapixel image sensor with improved dynamic range, in-body image stabilization that is somehow improved over the IBIS found in the Z6 and Z7 mirrorless cameras, dual CF Express memory cards, 4K 60p video recording, raw video capability, possibly external only, a 3.2 million dot touchscreen LCD, built-in Wi-Fi, more advanced video shooting features, and improved silent shooting mode. Nikon Rumors is also clarifying that this will not be a hybrid camera, but a DSLR with some mirrorless features. Things will probably quiet down on the rumor mill as we approach the end of the year, but expect leaks to ramp up starting in January, and especially once we hit February. It sounds like 2020 is going to get off to a very promising start for both Canon and Nikon photographers. Now, I must say this is really exciting news. Again, I'm not an icon shooter myself, but a lot of my friends are that are professional photographers and even hobbyist photographers. So this is extremely exciting, and I'm not really surprised at the time frame for when the camera is rumored to be released, because as I've mentioned in previous episodes, both Canon and Nikon are going to want to have their flagship DSLRs on the market before the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics. So if both of them are releasing their new flagship DSLRs in mid-February, that makes a lot of sense. It gives them plenty of time to get them in the hands of working pros that will be covering the Olympics, like shooters from Getty and Reuters and all these other outlets. And they take, you know, those groups tend to take nothing but the highest-end DSLRs they can get their hands on because the high-end DSLRs are proven technology. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing anybody that makes mirrorless cameras. As we all know, Sony has fantastic capabilities with the A9 and now the A9 Mark II. 20 to 30 frames a second, speed shooting and, you know, continuous shooting is nothing to sneeze at. And it is exciting that Nikon is definitely going to go with dual CF Express cards in their new flagship body. Uh, it is rumored that Canon might be doing the same thing in the 1DX Mark III, but I'm not 100% certain on that, as nobody is at this time. This is all rumor and conjecture, so we'll have to wait and see when both these bodies are released. But that is absolutely exciting news for the high-end sports Nikon shooters out there. They're going to be drooling, waiting in anticipation for the D6 to drop, which, again, will hopefully be around February 12th of 2020. All right, the next item I wanted to talk about in this week's episode, rumored Canon EOS RS specification. So CanonRumors.com has posted an article this week. As a matter of fact, they posted it yesterday, and they are saying they have received another set of specifications for the upcoming high-megapixel EOS R body that they and myself have dubbed the EOS RS for now. And the reason why I've dubbed it that and so have they is because we're both specula speculating that the first 
High megapixel EOS R body will be the replacement for the 5DS and SR, which Canon had already announced earlier this year. They were discontinuing that line. They were not going to release a Mark II because they wanted to move up to mirrorless with that basic design, you know, a high megapixel sensor and uh, dual card slots in the EOS R. Now, Canon may call it something else. The source claims to have shot with a prototype recently and that the plan is to announce the new camera, camera in February of 2020. The rumored specifications for the EOS RS so far are a 75 megapixel full-frame CMOS sensor. This would beat out Sony's new high megapixel sensor in the A7R4, which is 67 megapixels, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, sensor focused on dynamic range. Frames per second sounds similar to the EOS R, so it's not going to be a speed, speed shooter, but neither are the 5DS and SR. It'll have the Digic 9 processor, dual card slots, joystick, the same as the EOS 1DX Mark III, a larger and higher resolution EVF than the EOS R, a fully articulating LCD screen. It'll be weather sealed and similar ergonomics as the EOS R, but with no touch bar, which I'm sure will make a lot of people happy because a lot of people weren't really impressed with the touch bar on the EOS R. I personally like it, but I know a lot of people don't. Now, we think there will be more leaking about this camera in the coming weeks as we get closer to the planned February announcement. So it looks like, as I predicted in February of 2020, Canon will not only be officially announcing the release of the 1DX Mark III, but they will also probably be announcing their replacement, high megapixel replacement for the 5DS and SR. And as I stated earlier, we don't know this for sure, but both myself and Canon Rumors have been calling this potential camera the EOS RS, which is because it's a replacement for the 5DS and the 5DSR. We'll have to wait and see if this actually does come true or if it ends up just being a lot of bunk. We'll know once we get a little bit closer to February. Okay, another item in Canon news for this week. Canon has released firmware version 1.6.0 for the EOS R. As previously recorded, Canon has released a firmware update for the EOS R. It, turned it, out, it turns out it was released at the end of November, but hasn't yet been posted by Canon USA for some strange reason. Firmware version 1.6.0 incorporates the following enhancements and fixes. Support for the RF 85mm f1.2L USM DS lens has been added. Corrects a phenomenon in which the function or setting value assigned to the control ring may change when the control ring is operated in eco mode. Corrects a phenomenon in which the camera may stop operating properly during auto transfer when using camera connect with a Wi-Fi connection and also corrects a phenomenon in which high-speed synchronization with use of an external flash may not operate properly depending on the camera settings for C function to set shutter speed range. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, for some odd reason, even though this firmware has been out for a little while now, Canon USA site has not posted it. And I can confirm that myself. I went on the Canon USA site this morning when I first found out about the... Uh, 1.6.0 from the EOS R group I'm in on Facebook. And of course, uh, the American site is still only showing 1.4.0. So I hopped on over to the Canon EOS R French site 
and downloaded the firmware update from there and installed it on my camera with absolutely no issues. Now, just to give you peace of mind, the firmware is the same no matter what website you download it from. So if you use the French version, it's not going to change all of your language settings in the camera to Francais just because you downloaded it from the French site. I can verify that. I did install the copy from the French site this morning and my EOS R is still showing everything in English, so no need to worry about that. Now, the next thing I want to talk about in this week's episode, the new ZY Optics Mitocon 85mm f2.8 125 Super Macro Lens for Nikon F-mount with extended working distances is looking to be released soon. ZY Optics released a new, oh, actually, they did release it already, the new Mitocon 85mm f2.8 with one to five times super macro lens for Canon F mount or Nikon F mount, I'm sorry, with extended working distances. Super long working distance of one times at 230 millimeters, five times at 95 millimeters. Super low chronomatic aberration, APO design, near telecentric performance, free tripod collar and LED light. The price for this new lens is $499. Uh, Pre-orders are open now. Mitocon lenses are sold also at B&H and Amazon. And I will include the link to this article in the show notes. Now, this is coming from Nikon Rumors. This lens does look like it does some amazing macro work. I do have quite a few friends that like to shoot macro photography. And if you're a Nikon shooter, this looks like it would be a serious piece of gear to have in your arsenal. There are some sample images with the story that you can check out that are pretty amazing. Uh, the images are posted on Flickr, uh, probably by photographers that were beta testing the lens before release. And it does give fantastic details. Um, the first image that comes up in the article looks like it might be of a, I'm not sure if that's a regular fly or a dragonfly, but anyways, it's pretty amazing. The detail, the level of detail and the magnification is just mind-blowing. This looks like this super macro lens is just going to be fantastic for Nikon shooters that really enjoy doing macro photography. So you might want to check it out. And if you're into macro photography, pick it up because $499 is not a bad deal. The lens looks to be very well constructed. And uh, the enclosure of the lens is made of metal to strengthen its durability. Now, according to the information from the manufacturer, the lens will also be available in Canon EF, Sony FE, Sony Alpha, Pentax K, uh, Micro Four Third, and Fuji X mounts will be available as well. And as I mentioned a moment ago, it comes with a free tripod collar and LED ring light are both included in the package for $499. So that's a really good deal. I mean, for 500 bucks, you're getting a fantastic macro lens, f2.8 with one to five times magnification, basically a super macro lens. It weighs 1.65 pounds, a little bit heavy, but not super, super bad. I mean, I could lug it around without much trouble. Plus, you're getting a free tripod collar and LED ring light for that reasonable price. So... It's definitely an exciting lens. I wish they offered it in an RF mount for the EOS R. Um, I could buy the EF1 and use it with the EF2 RF adapter, 
Um, but I don't know if I'd want to. I think I might wait and see if the company is planning an RF version so I can have one that's native. Because as I mentioned uh, previously on uh, one of my episodes, I think it was last week or the week before, I got rid of all my Canon DSLRs and upgraded to a Fujifilm GFX 50R medium format mirrorless body and a couple of lenses. So I do still have all the rest of my EF glass that I didn't part with. I did part with my EF 24 to 105 uh, F4L Mark II. I also parted with my uh, Samyang 14mm f2.8 EF mount lens and a EFS 60mm macro I had laying around that was never being used. Uh, so I shipped them off along with some other stuff to Adorama. And uh, I, like I said, I've gone to the GFX 50R. Now, I didn't leave Canon. I'm still a Canon shooter primarily. But now I've, you know, I've cut my inventory of bodies down to two for the time being, and they're both mirrorless bodies. So I'm using the same technology in both cameras. The only difference is one is the full frame EOS R and the other one's the medium format 50R. So both of my cameras have R in the model name. Model name. Interesting. <laughs> All right, I'll include a link to this article in the show notes so you can check out this lens for yourself and you can, you'll can you be able to also click the links to buy it on B&H and Amazon or at least pre-order it maybe. Okay, the next thing I wanted to talk about this week, the Nikon D610 and D810 DSLR cameras are now officially discontinued. The Nikon's D610 and D810 are officially listed as discontinued on the Nikon Japan website. The Nikon D610 fire sale is still on at Adorama and B&H. The Nikon D8 camera is now out of stock in the U.S., but refurbished versions are still available for sale at Adorama and B&H. I'll include a link to this article in the show notes if you'd like to check it out for yourself. If you do have a D610 or 810, with it being discontinued, I'm not sure how much longer you would still be able to send it into Nikon for repair or servicing. After discontinuing it as of this month, at the beginning of December, then there's a good possibility that they're going to no longer do service and repair works on it if you ship it to them um, after the end of this month. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe Nikon does things a little bit differently, but I do know when Canon discontinues a body and they, they're going to no longer offer service and repairs for it, they cut all that off at the end of December, you know, in any given year that they're discontinuing a body. And I know that from when I had the five, uh, three of the 5D classics. Um, I found out that I got mine sent in for service under the mirror recall on one of them. One of the models I had had the defective mirror and I got it in for repair just a couple of months before Canon made it end of life and was no longer going to offer service or repairs for that particular model. So you will want to keep that in mind, being the 610 and 810 have now been officially discontinued by Nikon. There's a good possibility that if you have one of those bodies and it needs servicing or repairs, you may want to get it in fast because chances are they will no longer service or repair those two models after December 31st of this year. Okay, the last bit of news I have for this week, the, the new Nikon AF-S Nikkor 120-300mm f2.8 
EFLEDSR VR lens is soon to be released. Wow, that's a mouthful. Nikon, really, can you shove any more letters of the alphabet into the name of this bloody lens? Good God Almighty. <laughs> All right, the new Nikon uh, 100 uh, or 120 to 300 f 2.8 that when it's announced in September will be officially introduced soon, quote unquote soon, most likely this month, December, or possibly in early January. We do not have an exact date at this time, but we're being told that it is coming very soon. The 120 to 300 f 2.8 will have 25 elements, including a new SR element that is used for reducing chromatic aberration. The full Nikkor lens glossary can be found here, and there's a link to this uh, link to that article in the show notes, or in this article, which I'll include in the show notes for this episode, so that you can read up on their lens glossary if you're so inclined. Now, this new lens does look absolutely amazing, and I'm sure it'll have fantastic performance, Nikon. It makes pretty good glass, um, especially when they get into their fancier ones with all these uh, alphabetic designations. Uh, but it does look like a really nice lens. It looks to be weather sealed, and it just looks like a beast of a lens. So I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be snatching that up to like to do wildlife photography, especially because it's got some decent reach. I mean, you're talking 120 to 300. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's pretty good reach for a lens for wildlife photography. Um, on the Canon side, I have the 100 to 400, which gives me more reach and a little bit narrower on the low end than this particular lens. But this does look like a fantastic lens, and I'm sure any Nikon shooters that decide to pick it up for the wildlife photography are going to be quite happy with it. Um, I'm not going to bash Nikon. I, I try not to bash camera manufacturers, uh, and this does look like an amazing lens. Now, I did want to mention one other thing in this week's episode, and I know I'll probably get flamed by people for this. I don't care. This is just my thoughts at the moment. Uh, as I said, I have not stopped being a Canon shooter. However, I've been getting a little bit frustrated lately with Canon not coming out fast enough with their mirrorless full frame bodies. Now I know they're not they're cranking out glass left and right. So you know they're they're definitely going to all mirrorless at some point. But I'm really I'm holding back there waiting to see if this uh, dual memory card high megapixel EOS RS does really drop in the beginning of 2020. If it does, I will probably pick one up since I no longer have my 5D SR. I would like to have a replacement for it. And having a mirrorless replacement with a dual card slots and hopefully IBIS would be awesome. I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. And I've been doing a lot of thinking lately, um, debating, going back and forth, especially after some of the articles I've covered lately in third-party lenses and stuff. And I'm seriously contemplating possibly switching to Sony. Now, I know, I know, like I said, I'll probably get flamed by all the Canon users. <laughs> Because uh, I have shot Canon for a long time, but Canon is not where I started. I actually started out when I was very young with Kodak, and I shot a lot of Fujifilm point-and-shoot bodies when I was younger. And then I switched to Canon when I went to, you know, the SLRs and, and later DSLRs. I had stuck with Canon for quite a few years now. But I have been contemplating the possibility of switching to Sony, 
only because right now Sony is ahead of the game when it comes to mirrorless full-frame camera technology. Their iDetect autofocus is still better. Uh, their A9 with the 20 to 30 frames per second is amazing. Now, I don't need anything that fast, so I would probably never buy the A9, uh, either the A9 or the A9 Mark II, but I have been contemplating the possibility of getting the A7R4. It is a fantastic camera. And it's just something I've been thinking about. And especially, you know, like I said, after I cover things like I talked about a couple of weeks ago, where Tamron was coming out with some fantastic, really fast, wide aperture prime lenses for the Sony FE mount. You know, they're 20, what was it, 24 millimeter, 35 millimeter, and a 20 millimeter or something like that. And all of those lenses are incredibly inexpensive. Now, I know that Sony has a lot of G Master glass and it's it's decent glass. It's not the best glass in the world. Canon still kicks their butt as far as glass quality and Zeiss kicks everybody's butt still. <laughs> um, but the, the big my big uh, thing against Sony's G Master glass is it's not only not as good as my Canon L glass that I have now, but it's also more expensive than the Canon L glass until you get into the Canon RFL glass, which is even more expensive. Uh, but with the fact that Tamron makes some really fantastic prime lenses that are inexpensive, high quality, and weather sealed for the Sony E-mount, makes me seriously wonder if it might be time to switch to Sony. Now, even if I do this, I'm not gonna switch 100%. Uh, what I'll end up doing is I'll buy a Sony and I'll have a Sony, a Fuji, and a Canon mirrorless all three. Uh, I probably still will not get rid of all of my Canon gear just because I've been with Canon for a long time and I really love their gear, especially their glass. And like I said, most every piece of glass I have in Canon EF mount is L glass. I only have a couple of them that aren't. So we'll have to wait and see. Those are my thoughts anyways, and you're welcome to... Uh, to post in the Facebook group and leave your comments or questions about that um, and about my kicking around the idea of going with a Sony A7R4. Uh, or you can leave a voicemail or you can text the show at 470-294-8191. Leave your comments there in a voicemail or in a text message. Or if you have any questions, photography-related, or something you'd like me to cover on an upcoming episode, you can also use the phone number for that. You can also send an email to liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. And I'm going to wrap up episode 48 for this week. Again, I want to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, Radio.com, and anywhere else you might be listening to this show. And I will see you again in seven days for episode 49.